Honey, I agree with you. You gotta get out. He don't deserve you. You can say that again. A real man's gotta be a hero to his wife before he can be to anybody else. But he ain't a real man. Catherine, do you need a place to stay? I can't imagine living in the same house with that man. No, I decided last night that I'm not the one that's leaving. He's the problem, not me. That's right, girl. Stand your ground. Make him respect you. If there's one thing a man understands... It's respect. That's the issue. That's the reason our marriage is failing. She shows me no respect at all. And the saddest part about it is... He doesn't have a clue. He thinks our marriage has been fine for the most part. Mm. You know, he probably thinks... Our marriage has been fine until this year. Now, all of a sudden, she goes off the deep end. Do you really think this happened all of a sudden? I don't know what to think. I don't understand her. She's emotional about everything. She's easily offended and way too sensitive. I mean, he's so insensitive. You know? He doesn't truly care how I feel. He doesn't listen to me. Even if I say it over and over and over again. And then she starts nagging me and, and saying I don't listen to her or, or something like that. It drives me crazy. I feel like I'm going insane. You know, he doesn't understand my needs. I feel like we are completely and totally incompatible. She's probably whining to her friends, making me sound like a criminal. I can see him all right now, crying, having some sort of group hug. It's gonna be okay, sweetie. It's gonna be all right. You'll get through this. So you think it's past the point of no return? I don't have a reason to return. That was a clip from the movie Fireproof. We've been talking to you about that movie, and it's going to be something that we encourage you to go to if you haven't already. Some of you have probably already seen the movie, and it's about marriage and about how to save a marriage that appears beyond the point, as, the, as he said, of no return. Uh, this coming Saturday evening, in fact, we're encouraging people to buy tickets for a group date night and then to invite a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, back with you again to church next Sunday morning where we will continue to talk about marriage. But we are thinking this morning and next week about the subject of marriage. So turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians. That's where we have been for a while. And today we continue this series called Gospel-Centered Living. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles underneath some of the chairs nearby. Turn to page 1167. If you happen to use one of those Bibles, 1167, I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, a very short text of scripture, but one that has a whole lot of importance and implications. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Listen carefully as I read God's word. Paul, the apostle writes as follows. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And this is God's word. Well, there are a couple of things I want to say at the outset as we begin this mini-series on marriage. First of all, I realize that not all of you are married. That's an obvious thing to say, but one that I think we should say. A lot of you are single. Some of you are single again. So why should you pay attention to this message instead of just uh, taking a nap for the next half hour? Well, one day, some of you may be married. And so it's very important that you need to listen to this teaching. You need to hear it. You need to prepare yourself for it. But also beyond that, 
The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so every single person needs this passage of Scripture, just like we need every passage of Scripture in the Bible. It's useful. It's God-breathed. This passage is for the whole church. You need to know how you can pray for people in our church who are married. You need to know how you can encourage wives and husbands in our congregation if you yourself are not married. Plus, there's something even bigger going on in this passage of Scripture that I'm not going to tell you about now. You'll see it later. But it's a lot bigger than just human beings who are married. And so pay attention to that that's coming up later on this morning. The second thing I want to say to you is that not only do I realize that some of you are not married, but I also realize that some of the things that I'm going to say over the next couple of weeks are not very popular In fact, they are completely out of step with our culture. Some people are going to hear this passage of Scripture, particularly the first verse that I read about wives submitting to husbands, and they're going to label it antiquated, chauvinistic, even oppressive. Now, there is no doubt, and I should go on record as saying, that passages like this one that I've read have been misinterpreted and have been misapplied over the centuries. Some people have used verses like Colossians 3.18 to treat women as second-class citizens. Some people have used Colossians 3.18 to justify being abusive and condescending toward women. And that is clearly wrong. The Bible says very, very clearly that men and women are equal in importance, equal in value, equal in glory and in dignity. Men are not better than women, nor are women better than men. But here's what I want to say, especially to the married women here today, because we're going to focus on the first verse, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, you have nothing to fear in God's Word. You have nothing to fear in God's Word. Whatever Colossians 3.18 means, it is not oppressive. In fact, it is liberating. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you, what? Free. And so, women, as we focus on your role in marriage, you might be tempted to hear those voices saying, oh, how oppressive this is. How condescending this is. How limiting, restrictive this is. But when you hear those voices, no, talk back to those voices and say, no, Jesus said that when I know the truth, I'll be free. See, women and men, as we study this topic of marriage today and next week, we need to realize that God is calling us to freedom. He's calling us to freedom. Don't ever forget that. Well, here's where I'm going the next two weeks. So kind of keep this in mind as we travel. Here's where we're going. While husbands and wives have equal importance, equal worth, equal value, equal rights, we are different. Not just physically different, but emotionally, relationally, and spiritually different. Equal does not mean same. 
I could show you a dollar bill. I could show you four quarters. Those things are equal in value, but they're not obviously the same. Moreover, I could show you a Hershey bar, and I could show you Reese's peanut butter cups. If you look back on the back label of these, they both have 230 calories and fat calories of 120. They both do. I checked. They're the same in value, nutritional value, or lack thereof. (laughs) But are they the same? No. They're equal, but not the same. And the same is true in marital relationships between men and women. There is something at the core of a man, and let's call it masculinity, that makes him unique and gives him specific roles and responsibilities. And likewise, there is something at the core of a woman, let's call that femininity, that makes her unique and gives her unique roles and responsibilities. And marriage, therefore, is a process of the husband and of the wife discovering the unique potential of their manhood and womanhood and sharing that with each other in such a way that their needs get met and that joy and intimacy result. That's what marriage is. As you discover your manhood, as she discovers her womanhood, together discovering what marriage is all about. So let's dive in and see what this means in Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And next week, wives, bring your guy back. That's when we'll talk together as men about what Colossians 3.19 means. And keep in mind, ladies, I don't have any kind of guard in front of myself here as I speak. I guess I could go hide behind the... (laughs) No, I have nothing to fear as I talk to you this morning, I'm sure. But we're going to talk about submission. Three things I want to share. Submission defined, submission defended, and finally, submission displayed. In other words, I'm going to try to answer three questions. First, what is submission? Second, why does God command it? And third, how is it to be done? So let's start with submission defined. What is it that Paul the Apostle means when he says in verse 18, for wives to submit to your husbands? At first, I'm sure that when you see that word submit, your first reaction is probably a negative one. It sounds like the husband gets to order the wife around, doesn't it? It sounds like subjugation. Maybe you are thinking of that scene in Star Wars where Jabba the Hutt has Princess Leia attached by a chain or something like that. If so, you are way far afield of what the Bible is talking about when it says wives submit to husbands. Let me tell you what it does not mean first. It's very important to see that. First, it does not mean inferiority. It does not mean, as I've said already, wives are equal to husbands In glory and value, it does not mean inferiority. Secondly, it does not mean slavish, blind obedience. Wives, you never follow your husband into sin. Absolute, unquestioning, non-conditional obedience is given to God and God alone. And third, it does not mean cowering, timid, unopinionated passivity. In other words, wives, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't speak up when you disagree. You should. It doesn't mean that uh, you never can influence or guide your husband. 
My wife and I just uh, finished watching the HBO miniseries on DVD called John Adams. Some of you possibly saw that series when it was on TV some time ago. The relationship between John Adams and his wife Abigail is so interesting in this connection. Abigail was a great influencer of John Adams. Abigail definitely spoke her mind. She let him know how he, she felt about various things. And we learned a lot about the, the marital relationship by watching them. So wife, you do definitely have the freedom to speak your peace and to guide and to say what you believe. But what does it mean? What does this mean? It means that you let your husband lead you. You let your husband lead you gladly not grudgingly. It means that after all the discussion has been had, after all the negotiation, after all the talking about decisions that you have to make, after you've given your opinion with all honesty, if there is still a tie, you yield to him. You say, fine, I'll go with it. You defer to his authority in the home. The word submit is in the Greek language a military term. The word Paul used was a military term. It meant to draw yourself up in battle under a commanding officer. It meant to rank yourself under somebody by virtue of that person's office or station or character or authority. That's what it meant. It was a voluntary yielding to another human being. And so here's a good definition of submission. Submission is the willing the intelligent and the encouraging affirmation of the husband's leadership by his wife. Say it again. It's the willing, intelligent, and encouraging affirmation of the husband's leadership by his wife. Okay, that's submission defined, what it is. Let's move on. Oh, but in a word, I wanted to say this too. Keep this one because we're going to say something about this later. In a word, submission means respect. Wife, it means respect. And I'll elaborate on that later on. But let's move on to submission defended. Why would God call a wife to this role? Does it make any sense? Is it still valid in the 21st century? Is it a good command? Wife, does God have your good in mind when he says in this verse to submit to your husband? And the answer comes back a resounding yes. It is a good command. Verse 18, the text that I read, says that it is fitting in the Lord. It says, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. That word fitting means right. It's the right thing to do. But we need to go further and ask, well, why is it right? Why is it fitting? Let me bring you three reasons. First reason why submission on the part of a wife to her husband is the right thing to do or the fitting thing to do is because it meets your husband's primary need. Submission on your part, wives, meets your husband's primary need. Now here we need to take a little detour in our minds back all the way to the back or the front of the Bible to the very beginning, back to the book of Genesis in the first One, two, or three chapters of the first book of the Bible. Think with me about Genesis chapter 2. In that chapter, we're told that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. And he put Adam in the Garden of Eden. 
And the first thing God did, now this is before he brought Eve to him, right? The first thing that he did when he created Adam was he gave Adam work to do. Now, this is real vital that you catch this. He gave Adam work to do. He told Adam to do two things. He said, Adam, I want you to take care of the garden. And secondly, I want you to name the animals. Now, women, does it drive you up the wall that we men tend to be rather task-oriented? I know there are some women who are task-oriented out here, but men uh, might just drive you crazy being so task-oriented. Does it annoy you that we love watching football and war movies and playing video games and seeing how fast we can drive our cars? And, and do you wonder, do you, does it ever make you wonder why it is that men typically have to fight against becoming workaholics? Well, we can't help it in a way. In a way, it is the way that we are wired by virtue of our creation as men. From the very beginning, you see, men have had gifts and calling in the area of production and competition and achievement. There's something built into our hard wiring that predisposes us to conquer and to invent and to solve problems. Now, I'm not at all saying that women don't have those same abilities as well. Some women even excel over some men in those very areas. But if you look at us in general, men by nature are the risk takers. By nature are the competitors. By nature are the fighters. I was listening to a message the other day that gave some research on the differences between men and women, boys and girls. And I thought these were very, very interesting. For example, boy babies, when they come up to an obstacle, tend to push it over and walk right through it, whereas girl babies prefer to go around the obstacle. You might say, well, they're a whole lot smarter, and that may be true. (laughs) But boy babies just like to go right through the obstacle. Another bit of research, boy babies prefer a lower amount of complexity of stimuli, whereas girl babies prefer a higher complexity of stimuli. I'll let you interpret that one. But here's one that I thought was especially interesting. There's a woman you might have heard of by the name of Carol Gilligan. She's not at all in our camp in a whole lot of ways. Carol Gilligan is a psychologist, a professor at New York University, and wrote a book back in the 80s called In a Different Voice, for which she is still pretty well known. But in that book, she says some things with which I totally agree. One of the things she said is that men see themselves as maturing as they separate, and women see themselves as maturing as they attach. Hmm. Men see themselves as maturing as they become independent and make impact, whereas women see themselves as maturing as they network and become interdependent with other people. In short, men have the gift of independence and women have the gift of interdependence. Now, this is coming from a person who doesn't share our Christian worldview or our biblical convictions, and yet I think she's come up with something very, very true. It goes all the way back to the Garden of of Eden. Think about it again with me. Genesis chapter 2. Adam was there all by himself working the garden and naming the animals. But there was a problem, you see. In Genesis 2.18, we read that it wasn't good for this man to be alone. So God formed a woman out of the man and brought her to him. And the first thing out of Adam's mouth was, Wow. 
Here, here she was, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She was like him, but she was not like him. See, this is before sin entered the human race. And even at that point in human history, Adam needed a helper. Now, women, don't recoil at the sound of that word helper. In Hebrew, it's azer. It it is not at all to be taken in a condescending way like, oh, I can't do this, can you help me? Like almost daddy's little helper. Don't take it like that whatsoever. Most of the time in the Bible... When the Hebrew word azer or helper is used, it, it, it refers to God. God is our helper. If you were here last week, we looked at Psalm 46. The very first verse out of that psalm says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present azer, help, in time of trouble. Eve was created to be the help or helper to Adam. A helper is somebody who is strong where you're weak. You see, Adam needed somebody to make up for his deficiencies. He needed someone who was like him but not like him. He needed a woman. Do you know what Adam's greatest fear was? Adam's greatest fear was that he would be a failure. The question that haunts men day and night is, am I competent? Am I adequate? Will I succeed? Will I matter? You remember what I said earlier that men were created to conquer the garden? Men were designed for impact? The nagging question on most men's hearts is, am I going to make an impact? Am I going to make a difference? And that goes all the way back to the way Adam was created in the Garden of Eden. His greatest fear was that he would fail. That's why he needed Eve. And this became even more intense after men and women fell into sin. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into the human race and God pronounced a curse upon Adam. What did he say? What did he say to Adam when he cursed him? He said that your work is going to be even more frustrating than you can imagine. He put a curse upon Adam's work. Let me read it to you. In Genesis 3.17, it says that God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. You see, suddenly the very thing Adam was designed for became frustrating for him. The very thing that had been the source of life and satisfaction and meaning for Adam was now the source of heartache and pain. More than that, Adam needed encouragement more than anything else. He needed help. He needed respect and affirmation. That, women, that is why God says to wives, submit to your husband. Respect him. Encourage him. Follow him. Make it easy for him to lead. He needs a helper. Somebody to say to him, you're competent. Somebody to say to him, I respect you. Look at how well you're doing. What a success you are. That's what he needs from you. Larry Crabb, speaking to wives, says that what he needs is, and I quote, Nourishing, unpanicked supportiveness and warm, non-biting acceptance. 
Ladies, this is why demeaning your husband, criticizing your husband, highlighting his faults, running him down, making it hard for him to make decisions is so very devastating to him. So wives, I say it again. I know I'm belaboring this point. But your husband's primary need is to be affirmed and supported. And if you don't do that, he will seek it somewhere else. And that will only be a tragedy for both of you. The first reason why it's fitting for a wife to submit to her husband is that it meets his need. But secondly, let me show you another reason why I can defend biblical submission very easily. It's not only fitting because it meets his need, but it's fitting because it's exactly what you were designed for. It is exactly what wives were designed for in the first place. At the heart of femininity that I referred to earlier, at the heart of it is a predisposition to hold, to receive, to warm, and to relate. That's how how you've been created. Watch the women in our church sometime. Just observe them. Watch them. Look at them. See how they relate more compassionately than most men do. Listen to how they talk about matters of the heart a lot more naturally than most men do. See their tears. Listen to their prayers. Watch how they care for children more patiently and sacrificially than most men. How they think of the comfort and beauty of their homes and the well-being of family members with more sensitivity and creativity than most of us men do. Remember what Carol Gilligan said that I quoted earlier? Men see themselves as maturing as they separate. Women see themselves as maturing as they attach. Women have the gift of interdependence. Women have the gift. They are the primary nurturers of homes and churches and networks of relationships that build and strengthen society. I'm amazed at my wife's ability to nurture people. She sees things in people that I don't ever pick up on. She feels things that are going on that I don't see. I need that from her. You women are far more perceptive perceptive than us men. You are far more emotive. You are equipped to affirm and support other people. So wives, here's the command to you. Be who you are. Be true to your authentic self. Your most real self is being called out here in in, uh, Colossians 3.18. So be who you are and invest that nurturing soul that you already have in your husband. That's the second reason. You're created for this. And the third and final reason, and I'll be quick with this one, why is it fitting for wives to submit to husbands? Because the marriage relationship, this is that bigger picture that I alluded to earlier, the marriage relationship is supposed to mimic and model the relationship that believers have with Jesus Christ. Yeah, when a wife submits to her husband, what she's doing is she is mimicking, modeling, showing the world, preaching the good news to the rest of the world about how believers are to submit to, follow, love, delight in their, their Savior and their Lord, Jesus Christ. It says that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. As the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wives, again, I speak to you. As you encourage your husband, as you admire him, support him and build him up, you're preaching the gospel to a world that so very desperately needs to see the love of Christ.
All right. Well, we've seen submission defined. We've seen it defended. And now let me close briefly with submission displayed. How can you do it? How can you do this? How can you respect him, encourage him, follow him, compliment him? How can you make him happy that he married you and not somebody else? How is it possible? Because any wife here today will tell you this is hard. This is hard, hard stuff. Not only is your husband a you-know-what sometimes, but also you have your own sinful nature to contend with too. Both of us do, don't we? Both of us have this old sinful nature. And we also have a tug of war going on in the home. In fact, Genesis 3.16, let me show you this verse. It's here on the screen, I think. Genesis 3.16 says, and this is the curse that God pronounced upon Eve after the fall. He said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now that part about your desire will be for your husband sounds very nice and romantic. But actually what God is uh, telling you here is that there is a tug of war, there's a power play going on in every home because of the sinful nature. Your gifts and your abilities have been distorted by sin. Your husband, take a look at this little chart here, this little picture. Your husband's sinful nature will lead him sometimes actively, sometimes passively to try to rule over you. And this means in a sinful way. He will try to dominate you. Some men do it very well by passive aggression. Others, unfortunately, by overt acts of emotional and even physical abuse. But this is the sinful distortion of the calling for husbands to be the head of their home. But not only does the sinful nature affect the husband, look at how it affects the wife. It says that in that verse, your desire will be for your husband. You know what that word desire is talking about? That kind of desire will be a desire to overpower your husband, a desire to manipulate him, to rule over him, to be uh, one who tries to control your husband. That's the way that desire sometimes comes about. Some wives do it actively by nagging and criticizing and complaining and demanding, while other wives do it passively by being needy and dependent and weak and helpless. But the root problem is still the same. Wife, you have a sinful nature, and so do I, so do men, but you have a sinful nature that resists submitting to your husband and wants to usurp his leadership or make him so miserable that he'll hand leadership over to you. So how can you do it? How can you do anything in the Christian life? Two things. Repent and believe. That's how we get anywhere in the Christian life. We have to repent and believe the gospel. So wife, I leave with you these two things. First, repent. Repent of your sinful propensity to control and manipulate. Put your faith and trust in the power of the gospel to change you into a person who affirms and builds up your husband instead of tears him down. When you feel that unkind, critical word starting to come up, die to it. Turn from it by God's grace. When you want to nag and complain, die to it. That's that fallen nature that's trying to take over again. So repent and second, believe the gospel. 
You know, Jesus lived the life that you should have lived. He perfectly submitted to every authority on earth, and in, including his own father. He, he lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died. He died for your lack of a submissive spirit. He died to pay for that sin. He died to help you be your husband's helper rather than your husband's critic. The most important words to me in Colossians 3.18 are these three little words at the end of it, in the Lord. In the Lord. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. A man or a woman cannot bear fruit as long as he or she tries to exist without me. But connected to the vine, you can do it. Wife, repent. Believe the gospel. Trust in the perfect husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll live his life in you and through you to a man who is often very imperfect and very selfish. But with your help, he can grow into the man that God has designed him to be. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help the wives that are here today to not resist this teaching, but to embrace it as as their freedom, as their call to be their most authentic, truest self? And Father, would you help us husbands to be the kind of men that make it easy for wives to submit. Father, we're going to learn about that next week, and I pray that you'll bring the men back so that we can forge here a partnership of people who are created in the image of God and who reflect you in unique ways. Lord, be with those who are single and single again. Use them to help the wives and husbands that are here to become all that they can be in community with each other. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.